0: Good morning and welcome to His People Church Online. And it is my privilege to be bringing the word this morning on our Women's Day. And we had a great Women's Day event yesterday afternoon, themed, taking up space. Our speakers spoke so well and there was wonderful interaction. And I feel like this morning's message is a continuation of our Women's Day event but relevant to all. And my sermon title is, Being the Beautiful Bride of Christ, and God calling us to take up the space that he's got for us as his bride, as his church, particularly in this time. And you may ask, why have I felt to bring this word this morning? And I've just had a sense that as individuals during this time, the enemy is tempting us, tempting many uh, to, to disconnect, to isolate themselves and to be seeing themselves far more as individuals and caring and looking out only for themselves as individuals for their families and for those directly around them that they know and are friends with and are uh, and and I don't believe that that is God's plan for us that God has placed us as believers in his body in his bride the church and he is summoning us to be his bride to take up the space of being his bride, particularly in this time. And in Acts 2, verse 41, he speaks and he calls us to be added. It says, so those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And as believers, we are meant to be added, to be part of his church, part of his bride and and so let's look at the beautiful bride of Christ today who are we what are we meant to be representing and ephesians chapter 5 verse 22 to 33 in that place paul is comparing uh, the union of a husband and wife to the union the relationship between christ and the church and it is said uh put so beautifully in the passion translation and verse 32 is a summary here that says marriage is the beautiful design of the almighty a great and sacred mystery meant to be a vivid example of christ and his church. And this mystery, theologians have spoken about and meditated on for thousands of years. And the institution of marriage, God put in place right in the beginning, in Genesis uh, 2, and he speaks about the union between a man and a woman, and And what was God doing? He was giving us a picture of Christ and his church. Christ and his called out ones. And why is marriage, the institution of marriage, under such attack today? And it's not only today, it's been over history. The institution of marriage has been... Has been attacked, and it's because of the significance of it in pointing us to our relationship with with Jesus Christ. And so, and so, let us look at as well as we are looking through this what is our concept of marriage, and seeing it as it is as a divine institution from God, uh, representing who He wants to be to us. And so, uh, Ephesians 5, it speaks there that the bride is the body of believers that comprise the universal Christian ecclesia. That word, uh, Jacques, my husband, preached such a good word on this, the ecclesia, last year, And, and speaking about the called out ones, we actually did a series on the church, uh, but we didn't speak so much into the bride. And (coughs) the ecclesia was, is another means the called out ones. And when Christ was using the word ecclesia in the New Testament, In the Gospels, it simply meant that Christ had assembled this group of people to himself. And what was this group of people to do? They were to listen to his voice and to do his will. And the words in the Old Testament that can most closely be translated to Ecclesia were were those who were called out from their gatherings to attend to the affairs of the community, and were significant leaders in their community, and that is who God has called us as His church, His bride, to be. Now, uh, who has who? How come? How did the church come into being? Uh, and Ma Lloyd Lloyd Jones. A a prominent theologian uh, who actually passed away about 10 years ago. This is uh, a, a quote from him and it is a beautiful description of how the church came to be and the analogy of the church coming out of Christ just as the woman came out of Adam and God formed the woman out of Adam and illustrates the union uh, that marriage represents and between Christ and the church. So let's just read it. How does the church come into being? As the result of an operation which God performed on the second man, his only begotten beloved son on Calvary's Hill. Relating to uh, the cross. A deep sleep fell on Adam. And that's recorded in Genesis. A deep sleep fell upon the Son of God. He gave up the ghost. Meaning he gave up his spirit. He expired. He breathed his last. And there in that operation performed by God. The church was taken out. Just as the woman was taken out of Adam, so the church is taken out of Christ. The woman was taken out of the side of Adam, and it is from the Lord's bleeding, wounded side that the church comes. The church is the bride of Christ and when we are talking about the bride of Christ and thinking about it we need to remember the price that Jesus paid we need to honor the church the bride and and lift her up as a corporate entity because she represents and comes out of Christ. And I want to just look uh, briefly and say we are His people church. We are a local church, which is part of the universal church of God. And God places us, He calls local churches, each to represent Him and his bride in different expressions. And who are we as his people church? We are passionate about him and people. And we believe that God has given us uh, this expression of who we are. And first and foremost, it is always first upward. It is first Bringing glory to him. It is first our relationship to him. The bride's first primary relationship is to her groom, to her husband. He is her first priority among her relationships. And then while that is strong and firm and there's a love relationship between the husband and wife, then... there is space and capacity for relationship that flows outward. And man was created to be a worshipper, first and foremost to worship and to glorify God. And the Westminster Catechism embodies that, it captures that, and, and says the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Excuse me. <coughs> I need some fishermen friends, friends. <coughs> and there is no accident that we um uh, that we start our worship services with <coughs> with our worship because we lift Him up first and foremostly, and so and so we worship Him. And the song song of songs, there is a whole book in the Bible that is dedicated to our relationship with God, and uh my just talking about and being uh thinking about a bride and groom and weddings etc i couldn't help but be thinking about the wedding of my beautiful daughter and her handsome groom and their wedding that that was at the end of last year and just seeing them and how they were together and the significance of all the different aspects of their getting married. And we so often commented on the the analogy of them getting married and the relationship between Christ and the church. And just going back to the thing of being Ecclesia, the called out ones, uh, my daughter's fiancé at that time, he <clears throat> he called her out. He asked her if they could go out. And they spent time getting to know each other. They engaged and they, they spoke and they spent time together. And then there came a time that he proposed to her. What was he doing there? He was calling her out just as Christ called us out to be His ecclesia. Uh, her, her husband now, fiance then, He proposed to her, and there was such a celebration among us. And it was like they're not married yet, but He had called her out, and it was it was like that. There was the intention of marriage, and it was it was like that. And <clears throat> in in the Bible, with, between Christ and his bride, there is a love relationship that is the highest calling of the bride of Christ, is to love her groom, is to love Jesus and to worship him and to spend time in intimacy with him. And the song and the, the book, the Song of Songs, has been written to demonstrate that. And most of the earliest church fathers uh, viewed the Song of Songs as a clear representation of Christ and his bride, presented in deeply symbolic and allegorical teaching. And I'm reading from the Passion Translation, the introduction to this book. And it is just beautiful uh, how uh, the the translator of the Passion Translation puts it puts it in the introduction. And he says, Love will always find a language to express itself. Fiery love for Jesus pushes our thoughts out of hiding, and puts them into words of adoration. This articulation out of the deepest places of our hearts moves God and inspires each of us to a greater devotion. Everyone deserves to hear and feel the passion of our bridegroom. For his radiant and soon to be perfected bride. The inspired song of songs is a work of art. It is a melody sung from the heart of Jesus Christ for his longing bride. Can't you hear it? it Just the depths of love relationship between Jesus and his bride. And many scholars also speak that the the book of Song of Songs also speaks to the love relationship between a man and a woman. And it just further uh, brings the analogy of the two. And um, the translator of the Passion Translation carries on and says, So be prepared to see yourself in this journey and hear the Lord's lyrics of love sung over you. Invest the time to read this book through in one sitting. Then go back and read slowly and carefully, pondering each verse and praying through each love principle revealed in this translation. I think You may be shocked to read some of the things spoken over your life, considering them almost too good to be true. And Jesus is inviting us to engage and to to enjoy the love that he speaks over us as individuals, but also as his church, the corporate church. And... Proverbs 31 verse 10 speaks and says that and it is speaking here Solomon is speaking about a bride or a woman that is worthy and so often Proverbs 31 is a is a passage of scripture that is given two women to say, you're amazing, you're such a wonderful woman, you're so full of wisdom, and etc. And I was reading a devotional recently that was speaking into the church, and it was taking Proverbs 31 and saying, how could this not be also a description of the church, the bride of Christ, and how... The bride of Christ can represent and prepare herself for her groom, King Jesus. And so I, I just pulled out a couple of things uh, from Proverbs 31 just to represent it. And one of it starts off in uh, verse 10 and it says, She is far more precious than jewels, and her value is is far above rubies or pearls. And I know that my daughter's fiancé then, that he spent a fair bit of money on buying a beautiful ring for my daughter. He, he invested. He felt that she was worth investment and he felt a preciousness to her. And Jesus paid for his bride with his life. And another thing that happens with a bride and her groom. My daughter has taken on her husband's name. The bride takes on the new name. We are the bride of Christ. We are Christians. But the bride... Represents her groom. She is associated with him. When people see the bride, they are seeing the groom. And I'm speaking here about the reputation of the groom. And Proverbs 31 verse 23 speaks that her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. And This bride that is spoken about in Proverbs 31, she represents her husband well. She places herself in such a place that, that she, that he can be, uh, stand well, can stand with his head high and, and that he has a good reputation because she has. But unfortunately, so much of today, the the church has painted a skewed picture of our bridegroom. So many of us, we also as the bride, have separated ourselves from interaction with the world and with culture, and and have. Put ourselves in a corner so that the so that our King Jesus does not have a, a good reputation. And yet our, our our bridegroom deserves the highest reputation of all. And as his bride, we need to guard how are we walking? How are we representing him in our workplace? In the way that we operate, are we operating with integrity? Are there steps that we can take to represent Christ and His kingdom in positive ways? Are there things that we can provide solutions to society's problems and build a positive reputation? And the building a positive reputation for the bride of Christ is not just with pre-believers and people who are not serving him, but it is the reputation of the church within the church with other believers. How are we conducting ourselves so that other believers do not lose faith in the church and want to leave and want to not be part of the bride anymore? And we need to be looking at ourselves as the bride of Christ are we presenting him and lifting up his reputation well in how we behave <clears throat> another area of the bride is that we have the authority of our groom or our husband my daughter represents her husband that where she go when she goes somewhere she can speak on his behalf. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 and 19, uh, Jesus says to Peter, and he says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Now, what was that rock that Jesus was speaking to? That rock was the revelation that Jesus was the Christ the son of god <clears throat> and he and, and Jesus said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it church i want to say to you today that the gates of hell will not prevail against you as the church i want to say to you stand up in the authority that christ has given you he has given us an authority And Jesus goes on to, goes on to say to Peter, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And these keys are the authority to doors, to opening and closing things, to having authority to establish the kingdom of God in our world. and But it's our choice as to whether we use those keys. Are we going to operate them? Or are we going to sit at home in self-pity and not standing up and stepping out and taking authority in the areas that God is giving us grace to move in? And so, I want to challenge us and say, let us use the keys of authority and power to, to walk in what God's got for us. Another aspect that is highlighted in Proverbs 31, verse 26, is that the bride opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness. Is on her tongue. A bride speaks and guards the truth about her groom. Jesus wants us to speak the truth of who he is to the world. But he also wants us to guard the truth. And in 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, Paul is speaking to him and he says, If I'm not able to come to you yet, uh that I want you to speak, you know how to behave within within the house of God. And he goes on and says, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The Lord calls for us as his church to guard the truth, to guard the life. And an example of this, that we as the church need to stand up for truth, that there are so many relative ideas and and things that are coming against the absolute truth of God and the Word of God. And we as the church need to guard the truth. And there's a story... <clears throat> that I read recently, and it was about a church in 358 AD. And I was telling my son about it, and, and I said, no, that was about 700 years ago. And he said, Mom, it was a lot longer ago than that. It was 1,700 or so years ago. And so 358 AD, about 1,700 years ago, there was a church father called Athanasius, and he was in Egypt. And he was holding an all-night service at his church in Alexandria in Egypt. And this church father had been leading the fight in that time, so 350 or so years after Jesus had, um, had been born. He was, he was warfaring. He was leading a fight for the eternal sonship and deity of Jesus Christ, knowing that the survival of Christianity depended on it. And this man of God was using all his faculties and he was, he was, um, arguing and, and coming and and standing up against those that were wanting to say that Jesus was not the Son of God, and that he was not um, <clears throat> a, a part of the Trinity, that he was just a human man. And this man, Athanasius, was guarding that. And he knew he had many enemies for political even more than theological reasons. And so it wasn't just the um, the people who had come into the religious realm and were saying that it was wrong, but they were political people as well. And so the political people had the might of soldiers and armies, etc. And so these people who were his enemies, they had moved the power of the Roman arm- government against them. And that night of that all-night service, the church was surrounded by soldiers with drawn swords. People were frightened. With calm presence of mind, Athanasius announced the singing of Psalm 136, and there was a vast congregation there, and they responded, thundering forth 26 times, his love endures forever. They were singing the truth of God's love. And eventually, the soldiers burst through the doors, but they were staggered by the singing. And Athanasius kept his place until the congregation was dispersed. And then he too disappeared in the darkness and found refuge with his friends. And many citizens of Alexandria were killed that night, But the people of Athanasius' congregation never forgot that although man is evil, God is good. He is superlatively good, and his love endures forever. And why am I reading this story? For several reasons. Partly, I'm wanting to show you the significance that the church needs to guard. The truth, speak the truth, teach the truth, train the truth. And and God has committed that to his bride to represent him accurately and well. But secondly, I wanted to read this because it shows you the significance and the importance of the corporate body of Christ and and them standing together, standing together against persecution, against suffering. And in that place they had courage that they would not have had if they had just been privately in their homes. They would not have had the word of God uh, ringing in their hearts. And I want to move on now to uh, some aspects of the bride of Christ that are pulled out in Proverbs 31 as to how the Church, the Bride of Christ, operates sideways. We are passionate about Him, but we are also passionate about people. And I'm pulling that out um, from, from verse 15 and 16 of Proverbs. And verse 15 says here that she rises... While it is still night. She rises while it is still night. And, and what is the significance of that? Well, this bride that is described in Proverbs 31, she is up early. She is ready and prepared ahead of others. And And God calls us as his church to be alert and awake. To be listening and seeing what is happening in the earth. In this time, church, are we listening and saying we're not looking only at what is around us, what is in the natural, but listening to what is happening, to what is coming. What is the new thing that God is bringing? And another example was of the early church. Was of the early church, and I put here an example of hospitalia, and I I think that the word hospitality comes from this place as well. And in the early church, this word hospitalia was used to describe houses that early Christians established that provided a caring home for strangers and pilgrims. They weren't homes for the sick. The sick were cared for in their own private homes by their family. But these homes were were there to provide a place for strangers and pilgrims, many of them that were poor and destitute. And it was the early church that set up these places. And then as time went on, as cities grew, etc., the Christians began to use these these homes, these places, these hospitalia, to be places of rest and care for the cast-off members of society, for the poor, for the elderly, for the orphans. And over time, they came to be the place where the sick were cared for by the Christians because the families of the sick either uh, threw them out or just didn't know how to care for them, didn't have the resources to be able to care for their sick members of their family. And so, as time has gone on, we have seen that developing and expanding into the hospitals that we know today. And the early Christians saw that the care that they were providing in hospitals was a practical, tangible extension of their spiritual gifts. It was their love for God flowing outward to the people around them. And, and the question is, are we going to step out and say, God, use me to be the one, use us as your bride to be the ones that are providing the solution for the world ahead of time, that we not be the ones that catch on to the ideas after the events and after the world have found solutions that are not necessarily godly and bringing God's grace and love and life into the world. Uh, In verse 16, of Proverbs 31. It speaks, uh, she buys a field, etc., and she plants a vineyard. She plants a vineyard. And this speaks to planting seeds, planting, uh, planting for later on. And the bride of Christ is called to be sowing seeds and sowing into the next generation of the church. And our question, what can you plant for the bride of tomorrow to harvest? Or are we only looking for what is the benefit for us as the church, for you as your place today? Or are we willing to labor and to dig in soil that is maybe hard, and to plant a vineyard, so that our children, so that those who are coming after, so that our students, who are young people, who are the leaders of tomorrow, his people, every nation, one of our mandates is uh, is to be reaching the students, but they are the leaders of tomorrow, and we are we are sowing seeds for our next generation. And Psalm 102 verse 18 says it so well. It says, let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. And we can work through other verses in in Proverbs 31. Verse 20 speaks of this bride of Christ opening her hand to the poor and extending to the needy. And that is, that is a, such a, such a powerful picture of who God calls us to be and, and to be serving that a serving church, a serving bride is an unstoppable bride bringing glory to her King Jesus. And Jesus is working on us. He is, he is wanting a bride that is beautiful, that is ready for the marriage supper. And <clears throat> Revelation 19, verse 7 and 8 uh, speaks of this and describes this marriage supper of the Lamb and, uh, lamb and what the bride looks like. And let us read it together, and and I will be closing fairly soon with this. And it says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself. Fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And doesn't that uh, give you a picture of the bride of a bride in white, uh, coming down the aisle, ready to be presented to her groom? And my daughter, one of the delights of her getting married, was her wedding dress, and the whiteness of it, the beauty of it, and we took a long time to make her ready to meet her groom, and on the day, there were lots of people to celebrate, but her eyes were for her groom, and and these these linens what are they? What are they represent? In the Amplified Bible, it speaks and it expands on it. It says, she dresses in fine, radiant linen, dazzling and white. For the fine linen represents the righteousness, the upright, just, and godly living, deeds and conducts, and right standing with God of the saints, God's holy people. And Jesus is calling us to walk in right standing with him, to live with godly living. And I want to invite you to examine your life today. How are you as the bride of Christ representing your groom? How are you uh, speaking about the bride? How are you celebrating the bride? How are you building up the bride of Christ? Because he calls us to protect his bride. Because it hurts him when we dirty her linen garments, when we call her names, when we, when we malign one another. When we are not representative of his heart and his care for society and people around. And so let us, let us say, King Jesus, our groom, may we represent you well as his people church who is passionate about him and passionate about people. May we be the, the the representative of our King, Jesus. So let us pray. Father God, we ask that you would make us increasingly who you have called us to be as the bride for your Son, Jesus. And we say, Please forgive us, Lord, where we have acted in ways that bring shame to you, Jesus. In ways that damage your reputation. In ways that do not represent you well with the authority that you've given us. And we say, use us, Jesus. We want to partner with you to bring your kingdom to expand and to leave your legacy, Jesus, because it's about you who are our head and our king. And we say, Jesus, have your way. We submit to you. We follow you. Amen.